And so we're really going to enjoy God's word. And so for those of you who are with us for the first time, we welcome you. And all our audience that is on social media, we welcome you as well in the name of the Lord. We are concluding today on the laws of the harvest. I I trust that this series has been a blessing to you. And we've been uh, speaking and talking on this series from Genesis 8, wherein we're learning that as long as the earth remains, uh, summer and winter, seed time and harvest, day and night will not cease. Amen. Amen. And so we have been exploring that topic and that concept that all of life is about sowing and reaping. We sow through our actions. We sow through, we sow last week through our thoughts. We sow through our decisions. The week before last, we saw that. And we also sow through our words. So today, I'd like to talk about that, how our words are so important, or if you want to rename this, you can call it the potency of declaration. Psalms 118, verse 17, I shall not die, <laughs> but live and declare the works of the Lord. Tell your neighbor, I shall not die, neighbor. <laughs> tell your other neighbor, but I will live. Find another neighbor and tell them, I will declare the works of the Lord. The NIV Bible reads, I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. In other words, I will not be quiet about what God has done. I will boast in the Lord. I will say something. The complete Jewish Bible says, I will not die. No, I will live and proclaim the great deeds of Yah. This psalm is a very interesting psalm. As you know, the book of Psalms was written by different authors, one among them being David. And of course, we have Levites who have written, many different people who have written. In this particular psalm, David is making a very important declaration. By the way, The book of Psalms was used by the children of Israel and even in the time of our Lord Jesus Christ wherein it was used as a hymn book and they would sing from the book of Psalms. And even during the different celebrations of Israel, the book of Psalms would be used. In this particular portion that we've read, Psalms 118 verse 17, we're finding here King David making a very important declaration. He has offered a song of thanksgiving to God. The reason being for the deliverance that God had brought in his life and the victory in battle. And David is saying, when I was faced with a situation, I really thought I was going to die. But I didn't die. Instead, I lived. Evidently, he had thought that danger was imminent and dying was coming his way. And when you read the entire psalm, he describes the feeling which he had. 
He saw that he was in danger. The enemy was thick around him and they sought his life. But then he got this assurance that in my being victorious, it will really not be because of my own strength or my own words. I will be protected and I will be saved and I will make sure I am loud about it and I make a declaration and I tell people about what God has done. He says, I will declare. It's an act of my will. It's a choice that I make. I will tell. I will not be quiet. In fact, he says, I, 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 will, I will boast about it because when you look at me, I am a salmon on two feet. And I will tell others what God has done about me. This man says this because as you'll see in some other passages and some portion we will read later, he had really learned the power of his words. He uses the word declare. He understands the importance of declaration. And we need to learn the importance of declaration and even more so the importance of speaking the right words in our declaration. That word declare that we find in Psalms 118, it is the word S-A-P-H-A-R in Hebrew. S-A-P-H-R, and you pronounce it sofa. Isn't sofa, sofa. And that word, it actually means to score with a mark, to tally a record. It means by implication to inscribe, to enumerate. Or it means to recount or celebrate. It also means to commune to declare, to pen knife, to write down or scribe. It means to show forth. It means to speak, to tell, or to write about. David is saying, I'm not shy to speak and tell and talk about what God has done. I will say what God says about me. I will declare about me what God says about me. In other words, if I have anything to boast, I will boast and tender attention not on myself, but I will tender attention intentionally on God. I will say what the word of God says about me and I will make a declaration because I understand that my declaration becomes my destiny. He understood that. That his words frame or shape his life. He understands that. He understands that if you don't want to see it in your life, don't say it. If you don't want it to come to pass in your life, don't declare it. But do declare what you want to see in your life. This is in line with the writer of Proverbs. In Proverbs 18, 21 where he says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. The complete Jewish Bible says the tongue has power over life and death. Those who indulge it must eat its fruit. The message Bible says words kill, words give life. They either poison or bring fruit. You choose. Tell your neighbor you choose. Tell your neighbor you choose. So when the Bible speaks about the tongue, it's, it's referring to words. Words are important. You will never make much headway in your walk with God 
If you don't understand that the most powerful weapon you have in your life is a few centimeters under your nose. And many people don't really understand. But the scripture is very clear about this. Because God used words to create the universe. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in his walk with his disciples, he wanted to give them a lesson and teach them about the importance of words. He had spent a lot of time teaching his disciples about the power of faith and what faith can do and what faith is. But for some reason, they didn't get it. There are a lot of people who really don't get it, how important their words are. You know, we try and we express ourselves, and more so in those unguarded moments when things are not going well. When you're really not feeling so nice and you're not feeling so great, we just say stuff that we don't mean. So one day Jesus is walking with his disciples. Maybe we can have that in Mark chapter 11 because I want to read something for you after a while. And as Jesus is with his disciples, the Bible tells us that he saw a fig tree afar off. And we are told when you read the background of that, that it was this type of fig tree that when you saw leaves on it, it meant there were fruit on it. So from a distance, he could see the leaves on this fig tree. So he thought he was going to get figs on it. And as he got there to the tree, there were no figs because the Bible says there it wasn't time for figs. But from a distance, it looked like there would be figs on it. And then the Bible says, and Jesus said to the fig tree. Let's go there. Let me show you that. It says, Jesus spoke to the fig tree. Verse 14. And Jesus answered and said unto the fig tree. Answered? Are you telling me Jesus was speaking to a tree? <laughs> and Jesus answered and said to the fig tree, note what he said, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And just to make sure that God gets the point across, the Bible says, and his disciples heard it. In other words, he wasn't thinking aloud. He, he didn't mutter it under his breath. He said it loud enough for them to hear it because Jesus wanted to use this moment as a teachable moment. He's exploiting a situation that's there to try and get it across to his disciples who didn't get it all along when he's trying to tell them. So his disciples heard it. So let's continue. It's a very interesting story. And they came to Jerusalem. Jesus went into the temple, began to cast out those that sold and bought and so on. And no man would even ask him, why are you doing that? And he started teaching them in verse 17. The scribes and the Pharisees tried to destroy him. And then verse 19, when evening came, he went out into the city. Which means ever since he spoke to the tree, he left. How comrades are we on the same page, Pella? We're all on the same page, right? So he left. Then note the next verse. And I like it. It says in verse 20, and in the morning, somebody say in the morning. In the morning. That means the following day. That means the following day, which means there had been a time lapse since Jesus had spoken to the tree. Right? So 
between the time he spoke to the tree and this time Eribalang, there had been a time lapse. We don't know how long. Mara, let's, let's all agree it was the following day. It was the following day. And in the morning, somebody say in the morning. As they passed by, they saw the fig tree right up, watch, from the roots. So it means the words he spoke went to the roots. So many people don't understand how powerful their words are. That your words can undo something that has been there for a long time. But by the same token, your words can destroy something that's been there for a long time and pull it out by the roots. If it's a negative thing. It's right up from the roots. So it means the words we speak go to the root problem. Or to the roots of a thing. And now note verse 20. Verse 21. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Master, behold, the fig tree which you cursed, 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 cursed. I thought all that Jesus said was no man eat fruit from thee. So what's a curse, Peter? A curse is negative words. When you're angry with yourself, angry with your children, angry with your business, angry with your husband, angry with your wife, yeah, you, are ne- you, are, you are never a good person. You are always, you are always. Okay. So Peter is telling us a curse is not necessarily, you know, when I used to read this, I used to think, yeah, but a curse is not necessarily being vulgar. A curse is words that are spoken, negative words that are spoken. But we note that these negative words have a particular form of spiritual power. Watch this. Peter is shocked because it's evident that when Jesus spoke to the tree, there was no change at that particular time. In the same way that people say a lot of things over their lives, over their business, but when they speak, it looks like it's it's harmless. But As time lapses, these words, between the time you spoke and until they manifest, as seeds, they begin to grow and they begin to germinate and they bring forth what was said with the mouth. So these words don't disappear. They don't dissipate. You may not see them. You may not touch them. But in the world of the spirit, they are very active. They are empowered. Because the words that are spoken, And he says, look, this tree which had leaves on it, tree had leaves on it, just dried up from the roots. And Jesus said, well, let me even go further. If it was major too, Unatari, I want to go deeper. (laughs) Jesus reaches back to creation. He reaches back to the beginning of things. He says to them, and the King James doesn't translate it correctly. You have faith in God. In the original, you have the faith of God. Ah, 
for, for I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things that he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. I'll do it differently to the first service. Now, I've done this before, but I'm going to do it again because some of you deliberate, some of you were not here, and some of you can hope Alright, so put everything down and let's ring. Is Andre Moyen? Okay, just close your, clo- close your fingers like this. Yeah, now, I'm going to read that verse. Alright, I believe it's verse 23. Let me see what verse it is. It's verse 23. Uh, okay, yeah, verse 23. Now, this is what I'm going to ask you to do with those hands. I can really not let both hands go to you, Both hands go to you, Look at your neighbor who's not having their hands up. What's wrong with you? Okay, now, now. On the left, I'm going to read the verse. On the left, when I mentioned the word say, I want you to count. On the left, count the word say. On the right, count the word believe. Okay. So on the left is the word say. On the right. So here, here's Jesus. Here's Jesus. He's with his disciples. They're watching this thing. He reaches back to something that happened at the beginning. He says, have the faith of God. So then he explains how the faith of God works. He said, whosoever. So whosoever includes everybody. Look at the neighbor and say, you are a whosoever. With your hands in the air, you are a whosoever. Okay. He says, and whosoever shall say unto this mountain. Some of you are slow, man. Let's start from scratch. Some of you are slow. Look at your neighbors. I'm scabber slow. In fact, say this. I declare that you are fast. I declare. I, dispe- I speak to your mind. Oh. Here we go. 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 So Jesus says, Whosoever shall say, Unto this mountain, be thou removed. And I can shy shy. screening Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Next verse, verse 24. But shall believe. Some of you said that a little slow. <laughs> but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Say so if you should be having three on your left, one on your right. Look at your neighborhood, doesn't know what's going on. And say, Mara, we're now close to the sort. Anyhow, let's just see that. Now watch this. Watch this. Jesus is saying, if you want this to work. If you want to do what I did, okay? If you want to know how God's faith works, you have to say it three times more than you believe. Yeah, be- believe in your heart, nothing wrong, but, but, uh, but say it and say it and say it. Watch, watch, watch. And he says, he shall have the last verse, the last part of the verse. It says, He shall. Let's have it on the screen, please. The people at the back. It says, Read the last part. He shall. Yeah. 
Whatsoever, say whatsoever. Say it again. Say it again. Say it again. He shall have whatsoever he He didn't say he shall have what he believes. He says he shall have whatsoever he saith. Watch. There are many Christians who believe right, but they say wrong. They believe the Bible. They believe what God says. They believe the scriptures. But listen to what they're saying. Listen to what they're saying. And if you want it to work, you've got to learn to say it more. Then believe it in your heart. Jesus goes back. All right, Jesus. Now that you went back to Genesis, let us all go back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. I want to show you something. So Jesus is saying, what you have just seen me doing here is exactly the same faith that God used when he created the world. These are the components that make up that faith. You say with your mouth, you believe in your heart, but you believe that what you say will come to pass and you will have whatsoever you say. That's how it works. But then, what did God do in Genesis chapter 1? Watch this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering on the face of the waters. Here we go. And God said, just, 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 just hold it there. I'll come back to that. The expression without form and void is made up of two words. You know this, I'll repeat it to you. Is the first word, tohu, which means waste, desolation, worthless, vain, empty, nothing, without form, vain, wilderness. And the word, bohu, which means undistinguishable. Put them together, the word tova bohu describes then a state of confusion, lifelessness, disorder, a waste place, a wilderness, a place in a state of ruins. Note, when God saw this state, he didn't talk about tova bohu. How many people talk about their problems, talk about their situations? They say it and say it and say it and say it. They tell you, go high. Rebulawa ki cancer, go high. Rebulawa ki high high, go high. Rebulawa ki di They say it and say it, go high. We never leave the past, the age years, such and such. And yet they come to the front. Ask us to pray for them, believing they will be healed. But after we've prayed and after they've believed, they go out and they keep saying and saying. And when it doesn't work, they say, God didn't answer. And God says, ah, chine, come on. 
not about just the believing. It's about the saying. Because God, when he saw a state of confusion, lifelessness, disorder, fruitlessness, God spoke to that. Watch. And when he spoke, he spoke what he wanted to see. God said, let there be light. What is it that you want to see? Don't talk about what you don't want to see. Talk about what you want to see. Let there be light. And by the way, he didn't say let there be the sun. Because the sun was made on the third day. You want us to read it? The sun was made later. He said let there be light. God is light. What is this light? It's, it's, it's a light that is the nature of God himself. When he comes, when this light comes, it gives you revelation, understanding. Things that you couldn't solve, things you couldn't understand, breakthroughs that you couldn't have, problems that you couldn't solve. You have a divine understanding. You know how to make things work because it's light. Heightness of this light, it brings life where there's death. It brings energy where there's no energy. It brings vibrancy to somebody who is dead. Oh, I see light in your life in Jesus' name. When John writes about Jesus, he says the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. And when Jesus came, and when this light came, he says it was full of grace. Full of mercy, full of life. It's an impartation. It's something that comes upon you. People can't explain it. You can explain it. But all of a sudden your life is taken to another level because of the light. God finds somebody who hasn't gone through good things in their life and he lifts you up in spite of your background. He lifts you up in spite of people say that there be light, God said. And there was light. It's a light that turns generational curses. It's a light that turns families around. It's a light that turns around generational lineages. Oh, am I talking to somebody? It's a light that finds you and take you to another level. Let there be light. And God said, said in the midst of Tovabu, which means whatever situation you are in, however dark it is, begin to declare what God has done. Begin to declare the word of God over your life. Begin to say it and 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 say it. And And when you say it, the light of the word of God comes into the darkness and pushes out the darkness and drives away the darkness because of the light of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And God said, and God said, let's go to Genesis 1, Caleb and say what I'm talking about. Jesus is talking about God's, God's modus operandi. Genesis chapter 1. Note, 
It says, and the earth, Genesis 1 verse 2, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. We've said this before. The Spirit of God was on standby mode. (laughs) The Spirit of God wasn't doing anything. Waiting for somebody to say. Yeah, some of you, you wonder why God is not moving in your life. You are not saying enough. You, you, are, you are saying the wrong thing. You are, you are keeping the Holy Spirit in standby mode. I'll tell you what to do. He wants to help you. He, he wants to do exceedingly above all that you can ask or think. You are saying the wrong thing. Yeah. Spirit of God was moving. Standby mode. He's just waiting for somebody to say. Then it says, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. Why? Because it's the Holy Spirit. Who's instrumental in bringing creativity and change? The Holy Spirit always is waiting for the command of God. He says, and God saw that the light was good. And God divided the light and the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Do you see that? Day one. Verse six. And God said... So number day, day two, God says. God said day one, he says. Day two, he says. And God said, let the firmament in the midst of the waters, let it divide the waters from the waters. God made the firmament, divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which are above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. Day number three, verse nine. And God said... <laughs> It's like every morning God just stands up and just starts saying. <laughs> Remember, he's creating. That is his modus operandi. Jesus is showing them. This is how it was done, guys. It was done through words. It was done through declaration. It was done through saying. And God said, let the waters under the heavens gather together. A place and let the waters appear and it was so. God called the dry land earth and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. So God saw that it was good. So it was the third day. So I was wrong. Fourth day, God said, let the earth bring forth the herb yielding seed, the fruit yielding tree, after the kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after its kind, tree yielding fruit who had seed in themselves after their kind. And so God saw that it was good. It was the evening and the morning, and it was the third day. Hey! So God wakes up on the fourth day, and God said, <laughs> Now imagine, he says, Let there be lights in the firmament, in the heaven above, did it light the day from the night? Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. And let the, them be in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, which is the sun, the lesser light to rule the night, and he made the stars also. God set them in the firmament above and to give light and to rule over. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So the sun was created on the fourth day. Yet on the first day there was light. It's the light of God that penetrates your life comes upon your life. But here's what I wanted to raise. Isn't it amazing 
the repetition, day one, God said, day two, God said, day three, God said, day four, God said, day five, God said. Day six, God said, let us make men in our own image. It's like, that's the way God, so before he did anything, he said it. And Jesus says, guys, if you want to know how, what I did to this victory, I'm just copying the faith that God used when he created the earth. He used words. And if you learn that death and life are in the power of your tongue, and if you learn that whatever you see, declare becomes your destiny, then you become very choosy and intentional about what you say. Because the words you speak, you saw them into the world of the spirit. Though nothing changes immediately, but after some time, like it was with the fig tree, after some hours, things change and your words have affected everything from the roots. Which means on the positive side, you can come from a background where nothing is working. Where everywhere you look, kisinyama, kibuloi, and you can say, you know what? I am a child of God. I'm a born again child of God. I'm going to begin to say things over my life. You can say over your life, I am blessed coming in and I'm blessed going out. I am the apple of God's eye. No weapon formed against me will prosper. Ah, don't say it once. Say it on day number one. Say it on day number two. Say it on day number three. Say it on day number four. Say it on day number five. Say it on day number six. Keep on saying and saying and saying and saying. Even if when you start now, Nothing will change. Even if when you start, just give it time. It is there in the world of the spirit. When you are sleeping, just like the seed that's under the ground is germinating, it's beginning to grow. It's beginning to push out all the weeds in your life and it's beginning to change everything. Can I hear an amen? Our words are like seeds we plant. And whatever we say consistently over our lives, believing in our hearts, will grow and germinate. In particular, I want to say, let it be God's word. I'm not just talking about just saying some positive, nice things. Go to God's word and find out who God says you are. Tell your neighbor, neighbor, find out who God says you are, please. And whatever you say will germinate, bring forth fruit. The words you say consistently. Now, I don't know how many of you don't realize how many words you use every day. <laughs> According to researchers, each person here will open their mouth an average of 700 times in a day. Now, now I'm in more trouble because I've done two services. Each one of us here, you'll open your mouth 700 times. This is research. Lauro, you're a quiet type. 700. Look at your neighbor and say 700. 700. Now, in those 700 times, this is what research shows. You will use an average of 18,000 words. So, so every day, you speak an average of 18,000 words. Can you imagine? Now we are ringa. Now, if we were to quantify those words in comparison to books that are written, 
Okay. On average, books that are regarded as thick books have about 500 to 700 pages in size. That's a thick book. Now, these 18,000 words that we use daily would translate into about 54 pages of this thick book. 54 pages. That means if we were to calculate in one year, an average person would actually fill 66 books of 800 pages each. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of words. No wonder Jesus said in Matthew 12, 37, by your words you'll be condemned, and by your words you will be justified. In the Amplified, in the Message Bible, it says, words can be your salvation, words can also be your damnation. Because we are creatures that speak words. So the scriptures say a lot about words. Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Proverbs 21, 23, whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. The complete Jewish Bible says, whosoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. The message Bible reads, watch your words and hold your tongue. You'll save yourself a lot of grief. Nothing wrong with ringing. As long as you are ringing the right words. But there are many people. And so it becomes important for us to learn to be choosy and intentional about what we declare. Take time to speak over your life. I don't know how many of you know that even when people release incantations, spells, even when they do the pontiology, they use words. <laughs> That's a science. <laughs> they use words. They try to make contact with you through some item, hair, clothes, something, but they use words. They speak words. So watch. When you learn to speak God's words over your life, just like it was in the life of Job. It builds a hedge, a palisado, around your life that's impenetrable. So that those words, even if they are sent your way, bounce off that hedge. However, this hedge is built one word at a time. One brick at a time. The problem of Job is that he used the words of his mouth to tear down that hedge. When you read in Job chapter 1, he followed God, he offered sacrifice, he prayed, and I mean, his CV before God, and the report from God was, this is a good guy. Him and his family. And in him praying, in him offering sacrifices, in him honoring God, Automatically, through his right life and his sacrifices and covenant with God, the hedge was built. Mara, instead of declaring that the hedge is built, Job begins to hang around fear. 
that even when he gave a sacrifice for his children, it was not in faith. He keeps on saying, it could be that maybe they have cursed God and they will die. So his prayer was not a prayer of faith. There are many people who pray prayers of fear. And Job's obsession was the negative. He was more focused about things going wrong. That's why the first words out of his mouth, when he heard the wrong report, he said, the thing that I have feared the most has happened to me. Now that's a telling statement. Because you can never be afraid of something without talking about it. So we can deduce from that that when Job was with his friends, he would say, hey, what's working? I'm blessed, Mara. I, I'm so afraid that one day all my children will die. I'll lose all my wealth. Satan will destroy. I am so afraid. And he keeps saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. He says it on first day, say it on second day. He keeps on saying it and saying it and saying it. Even if he's doing all the right religious things, he's gone to church, he's giving an offering, Mara, and he's believing in God, but he is saying wrong. And when, when, when what he kept saying finally happened, I don't know, just like some of you, keep saying, keep saying, keep saying, And yet when you read about others, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, 1 to 3, we read about David who encouraged himself in the Lord. That's what we must do. We read in Proverbs 4, 20 to 27, that the power of words, the words of God on our life, will create and recreate. God says, my word will be life to those who find it and health to their flesh. God's word is able to recreate and regenerate and bring about life. We read in Proverbs 18, 2, 23 and Proverbs 10, 11 that the word of God gives life and scares away death. Let me close. I want to give you, depending on time, two examples of people who knew how to use their words. That when they got into crisis... They were intentional in what they declared. David says, I'll live and I'll not die. And I will declare. We read an interesting story in 2 Kings chapter 4 of the woman of Shunem, whom we call the Shunammite woman. Let me tell you the story. You read from 2 Kings 4 from verse 8 to 37. It's a long passage. You can read it at home. This woman and her husband lived in this place called Shunem. This was a border city that was allocated to the tribe of Issachar, according to Joshua 19.18. It's about five kilometers north of Jezreel, near Mount Gilboa. Now this place is not called Shunem, it's called Solem Sulam. It's there. This wealthy woman it would so happen that Elisha would come to this city of Shunem to preach. And they noticed that the prophet would come and go, but he didn't have a place to stay. And through this lady's 
suggestion to the husband, they built Elisha a room. So when the prophet came, he would come and launch in this place and stay in that room. They were being hospitable. One day, as the prophet was at this home, yeah, this couple, he noticed that they didn't have a child. And the man was already grown. Doesn't tell us how old the woman was, but they didn't have a child. There was no hope of them having one. But as the Bible says, if you receive the prophet, in the name of a prophet, you'll receive the prophet's reward. Amen. What is the prophet's reward? If you receive a man or a woman of God in the office in which they stand, it will empower the office they stand in to go into operation. If someone stands in the office of an apostle, but you receive them as a pastor, you'll never receive the apostle's reward. It's about a recognition of the office in which they stand. You don't make them God. You don't worship them. But you recognize the office in which they stand. And so because of having received this man in the manner they did, one day as this woman was with Elisha, Elisha said to her, you know what? God's going to bless you and your husband. Next year, this time, you'll have a child in your hands. When you read it, this woman did not believe the prophet. And I like it. Because she didn't believe. She, you know, she didn't believe. She just said, no. It's not going to happen. My old man is old. It's not going to happen. Not going to have a child. But then the following year, true to the words of the prophet, a child was born. But unfortunately, this child died in the hands of this woman. And when he, the child died, this lady took this child up to the room where Elisha used to sleep and laid the child on the bed. Just so happened that Elisha was in town, was preaching somewhere in another place. And I want you to note, Bazalona, the words of this woman, woman. Because as she went up to the room and her husband saw her coming down from the room, the husband asked, are you okay? And this woman says to the husband, all is well. <laughs> Mamela, she's looking at Tohu Vabohu. Mara, she's not talking about Tohu Vabohu. Says all is well. And then she says to the husband, Look, I want to go and see the man of God. The husband says, Why? He says, No, Skawar, I just want to go see him. Everything fine. Yeah, no, all is well. She sends her donkey, accompanied by her servant, rides this donkey. Finally, as the prophet sees this woman coming from afar, as she draws close, that is verse 26, the, woman, the prophet asks, is your husband okay? She said, no, he's fine. How about the boy? No, all is well. <laughs> Her response is that of faith and not of despair. This woman understands how using your words as seeds 
and sowing the destiny that you want to go into is so important. She understands that in the face of sickness, you don't talk sickness. In the face of death, you don't talk death. In the face of despair, you don't talk despair. And somehow the prophet says, all right, I'm going to come to your home. And then the woman says, look, I just need you to pray for my child. Prophet gets there, finds out the brother, the child is dead. And in honor of this woman's faith, the prophet prays for the child. And the child is raised from the dead. All because of a woman of faith. Oh my goodness. You want to know how to carry your family on your faith? Learn to speak words over them. Even when times of despair comes. This is important. We will get attacked as people. We will lose out on certain battles. There are certain situations that we will not understand. But please, in spite of that, never stop saying what the word of God says about you. There are situations that I don't understand. I think the day we get to heaven, I'll ask Jesus about it. In that time, he will explain to me. But for now, under us. But because under us, it doesn't mean faith doesn't work. In medical science, I want to ask the people with medicine, medical people. Yeah, I've got a few of them around here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, Chris. For something to be prescribed, the tests, there's a percentage at which it has to work. Percentage of success. What percentage is that? Yeah, you know, in medical science, they know that. It, Whatever they prescribe doesn't work 100%. It doesn't, you know, yeah. But there's a percentage. Someone told me, I'm, I don't want to say the wrong thing. Oh, please, Buamba to Lady Seven Totten and Nagim Root. Buang Keng Batum. All right, I know it's around 80%. You've seen, even when they take you in for, for an operation or Bahonuisa something. They always have a, 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 a disclaimer. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. Oh, oh. Contraindications. How many of you know the contraindications? Because they know that even if this medicine, Yasifuba, works, there are people where it's not going to work. I'm driving somewhere. Am I talking to people who are alive? I'm driving somewhere. And yet they prescribe that with confidence. They write a prescription in Reka, even if you may be the contraindication candidate. <laughs> they don't say because it doesn't cure everybody the same, we're not using it. Now, here's my point. Why must we give up on our faith? When there are certain things that didn't go in line with what we believed and what we were standing for. Does it mean faith doesn't work? Uh-uh. If it works 80%, I'm in the right because contraindications as well. And some of you, you've given up because it didn't work. And you've made the conclusion that it doesn't work. And yet, medical science and everybody out there, I mean, even flights, but on the aeroplane, the plane is used a lot. We fly all over. All over. 
But we know planes have crashed. And you have these huge investigations. Right? Yeah. No, 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 no. It was human error. No, 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 no. It's the plane. But it was human error. It was human error. Human beings know how to make a case for what is theirs. Why can't we make a case for our God? That my one prayer didn't work, it doesn't mean prayer doesn't work. That as I spoke God's word and things didn't change, it doesn't mean things don't change. The current story are the Titan submersible. Unfortunately, with what happened now, but they had been down there to the Titanic three times. It had worked. Three times it worked. Twice, you know, yeah, they'd been near, yeah, they'd been down. Three trips they went down. I'm not talking about things from outer space. These are things that happen here. Yeah. Even the greatest of athletes, they don't win every time. Yeah. They have a success rate here, 80%, maybe more. But we are the undisputed world champion. So, that it hasn't worked. And I don't know why I'm saying this. Someone in this place needs to hear this. Get back on being like the Shunammite woman. Begin to speak the word of God over your life, over your business, over your family. Can I hear an amen in the house? The second example as I close is that of David. You remember I told you we'll come back to David? The very one who said, I will live and not die. I will declare. Now the brother is Still young. That's where he learned it from. When he wrote that, he was a king. But what I'm about to read is when he was still young. He comes over to the battlefront and he hears about this giant called Goliath. Now, I want you to read something. You may have read the story many times. You may have heard us talk about it many times. But I'm going to show you something that you probably may not have realized in line with what we're talking about. David literally used his words, made a declaration. If you want to hear the story, it's in 1 Samuel 17. I won't read it. He faces Goliath, a giant that people were afraid of. There are many things that have driven people into the prison of fear. There are many things that people have regarded as an obvious destiny. Things that they believe can never be defeated. And people have considered and they have made a truce to settle for things that are less than God's best for their lives. There's this giant that everybody was afraid of. The entire army of Israel was afraid of this guy because of his stature. And they had run into hiding. The king himself didn't know what to do and he ends up making a statement and announcing whoever will kill this guy, I'll give them my daughter's hand in marriage. Goliath, we even read from Bible historians like Josephus, who was a first century historian. He confirms that Goliath was a giant. It is said that 
Goliath was a descendant of the Nephilim. The Nephilims, if you read the Bible in the book of Genesis, were the offsprings of what the Bible calls the sons of God who cohabited with the daughters of men. To explain it, it's angelic beings that engaged in the sexual act with human beings. And out of that act, there were these beings that were born who were supernatural in terms of their stature. Giants were born. Goliath, therefore, was a descendant of those giants. It is said that the average height of the Nephilims was two meters. Talk about a hunk. <laughs> two meters. And in these days, Josephus says that the Hebrew males were an average of 1.67 meters tall. What are you going to do against a guy who's two meters plus? The only person who could have matched this guy then was Samuel. Because 1 Samuel 9.2 tells us that Samuel, Saul rather, Saul stood head and shoulders above everybody. But no one else. But not only was this guy tall, hefty, a hunk of a guy, but this guy was strong. And he was a trained warrior. He would wear armor to the battlefield. History tells us that he wore on his legs greaves. These are shin guards that were made out of bronze and steel. He wore a helmet made out of bronze that weighed 13.6 kilograms. He had a shield made of bronze. And he wore a breastplate made of bronze which weighed about 68 kilograms. Can you imagine? 68 kilograms is someone slightly below my weight. Can you imagine taking someone just below my weight and putting them on your chest? And walking around freely. This guy was a something. Hey! So don't, 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 don't say too many bad words about those people who are afraid. And then we are told that he carried a sword or a spear that weighed 13.6 kilograms also. Comrades, this guy was a tanker on two feet. <laughs> Therefore, we want to state comrades categorically that no one could bring this old guy down in their own strength because David was a 1.67. And to match this guy's strength pound for pound, David comes, Kaslang Fair. Slingshot. Let's see Slangfer. I mean, there you are. I mean, look at that slingshot, Bazaar. Can you imagine? Look at, look at the comparison. Now, I, 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 I want to submit to you that it really was not the slingshot that destroyed the giant. 
There was something more in the air, something more in the spirit world, something more that was supernatural, and it was something that started. Mamelong, when David heard, I'm going to read it for you. It started when David heard. In 1 Samuel 17:32, here's David standing before Saul. After Saul trying to convince him, don't go toe to toe with this guy. He says, no, 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 no. Listen to what he says. Earring. And David said. And David said. And David said to Saul. Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And then he reaches back into the covenant in verse 37. He says, moreover, David said, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Can I hear a shout in the house? Even before he meets this human tanker, he is already making a declaration. He is already saying it with his mouth. He's believing in his heart, but he is saying it and saying it and saying it and saying it. And now here is David standing toe to toe with Goliath. Verse 45. And David said, and David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Listen to what he's saying. He says, this day, this day, this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you and I will take your head from you. And this day I will give your carcasses to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts, to all the earth, that they may know that there's a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord doesn't save with a sword or a spear. Why, David? For the battle is the Lord. And he will give you into my hand. Can I hear an amen? What is it that released God's power? The power that was there dormant. The power that was there in standby mode. The ability of God that was there all along. When the soldiers were running. When Saul was running. When everybody was hiding. The power of God was there in standby mode. But the power of God was waiting for somebody. Somebody to say what the covenant says. Somebody to declare what the covenant says. Somebody to boldly say what the covenant said. And when he said it, when he said it, like when God said it, the power of God goes into action. I can almost see David. I think, Bazanal, go and read it. He ran towards the Philistine. You go and read it. He ran towards the Philistine. And I can almost see this guy running towards the Philistine, saying with his mouth, listen, Mzalwana, run towards your giants. Don't be afraid of them. Run towards 
situation. Run towards them with the word of God in your mouth. Run to them and declare what God has said. Can I hear an amen in the house? Too many times we don't declare what God says. Too many times we don't say what God says. Too many times we allow giants to silence us and put us in the corner. But I will live and not die. And I will declare the praises of God. Will you stand on your feet? Stand on your feet, everybody. Hold your neighbor's hand. Hold your neighbor's hand. Hold your neighbor's hand. Look at them and say, neighbor, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I bless you. I speak the word of God over your life. No weapon formed against you will prosper. I speak over your life that spiritually God will make you prosper. He will give you an understanding of his word. You will walk in the revelation of the truth of God's word. There will be no darkness in your life. There will be no confusion in your life. The light of God's word will give understanding. The light of God's word will show you the path. I speak the word over your life that healing is your portion. That every ounce of your being, every cell in your body, I declare healing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I speak God's favor over your life. You are not cursed. You are blessed. God will guide you into divine coincidences. Wherever you go, the favor of God, the favor of God, the goodness of God follows you. I speak the word of God over your financial life. Lack will be a thing of the past. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. I speak the word over your life. The canker worm, the palmer worm, everything that steals your resources, I rebuke it now in the name of Jesus. Let provision be your portion. May God supply all your needs. I speak to you concerning your career. I speak over your life. May God prosper you in your career. May God open doors for you. I declare you are blessed. You are a child of God. You are blessed. You are blessed coming in. You are blessed going out. You are blessed wherever you go. Everything that you touch is blessed. Everything that you do is blessed. Everything you are associated with is blessed. You are blessed. In Jesus' name. Give the Lord a good hand of praise. Come on, give the Lord a big hand. Oh God. Just remain standing as you bow your heads and close your eyes. Thank you so much. If you are here for the first time and as yet you haven't received Christ as Savior and Lord of your life. 
God is able to change lives. And as you give your life to Him, He changes it, transforms it, makes you a new person altogether. Sometimes we go the wrong way because we just never had an opportunity to hear a message that directs our life in a different way, on a different path, in a different cause. No matter how many wrong things have gone on in your life, how much problems and challenges, tragedies you've had, no matter how, how much you, you may have feel you failed God, God hasn't given up on you. He loves you. He wants to change your life. If you give your life to Him, He will turn things around for you. As we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed and we have you in our hearts. If you need prayer and you say, Bishop, please pray for me. My life is really not right with God. I need God's intervention in my life. I want to invite Christ to come and be my Savior and my Lord. Would you pray for me, please? If that is you and you need prayer, would you raise your hand right where you are standing? Just raise it up. Thank you. Thank you for those hands. Bold and without any shame. Without doubt. This is what church is about. This is why we're here. To give somebody an opportunity to say, God can change your life. And I want to ask those who raised your hands, I want to pray for you. Would you please come from where you are standing? Take all your belongings, your Bible, your bag, your purse, and just come out from where you are. The other people will help you go through and just walk all the way to the front. Come stand here facing me. Come stand here, lady. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. 